0: So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash show, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there.
1: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain.
3: In a blaze of light, the starship Enterprise comes out of warp speed at the spot where the distress call had originated. Scanning around, the only sign of life is a pulsing panel, clearly from the wreckage of a ship, torn apart and set drifting through space long ago. It is then that a new threat appears from just over the edge of a nearby planet as a star destroyer peers into view. The Enterprise knows a warship when it sees one, and they ready their shields for one of the biggest battles of all time. It's Warp Speed versus Hyperdrive. It's Starfleet versus the Empire. It's the Starship Enterprise versus an Imperial Destroyer. Today on Who Would Win?
0: And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Sticanus. Showdown September continues with our third matchup, and you literally can't get bigger than this. In today's episode, we have a matchup that pits two iconic starships against each other in an even more epic space battle. In one quarter, you have the USS Enterprise, the iconic starship from the Star Trek universe versus the Star Destroyer, the warship that enforced the Empire's will on the galaxy within the Star Wars universe itself. And as usual, for Showdown September, there's absolutely no need to do the patented Who Would Win Google test to see how often this matchup has been discussed as this very battle has has been a topic of debate for almost 50 years, which means it's about time for it to get the who would win treatment. Ray, what are your thoughts on today's matchup?
3: Obviously, I'm interested in this battle. This is one of those that people have been suggesting since the very uh, beginning of this show. When are you going to do? Enterprise versus Starship or Starship Enterprise. I don't know. When are you going to do? These two things. Who cares? That's what we've been talking about. (laughs) Star Wars versus Star Trek. It's always ongoing and a thing. I've seen tomes and tomes have been written about this. Video essays have been made and I'm here to put this argument to rest today and claim victory in showdown September after week three. You've been on a hot streak, no doubt, but I think
0: today is going to be a little bit different. You know, I love it because, yeah, this battle has been been suggested many, many times, and uh, we're finally getting to it. I'm super excited. You know, our audience, our legion of uh, audience, I should say, is loving what we're doing, and every week they give us suggestions. Some are, you know, old suggestions we've had for years, like this battle today. I'm really excited about this. It's time to introduce our guest judge, or should I say, our guest judges? Uh Okay. For the second time ever, we have two judges on the show. You know them from Vampire the Masquerade Port Saga Audio Drama Podcast. It is absolutely awesome. And you won't believe it. Season two, episode one, is now available. How crazy cool is that? It's Rachel J. Wilkinson and Dan Geist, it is the stars, the producers, the absolute amazing team behind Vampire the Masquerade Port Saga. Welcome back to Who Would Win. It's good to be back.
4: Well, well, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that warm welcome.
0: You know, I, I, you're welcome for that. I, the before the show, we kind of said like uh, I, I revealed a little bit of a uh, you know something I was thinking when it was announced that you two would both be coming on the show the very first time. I was very nervous, right? Judges can talk over each other. They won't say eye to eye. I mean, this could go horribly wrong. And the absolute opposite happened. You guys were fantastic. You came in with great thoughts. The way you guys deliberated, the way you gave me the victory, all in all, it was an absolutely fantastic (laughs) performance. Now I'm expecting the exact same thing. But with that being said, I also have to reveal something to you. When you came on and you told everyone that you created this amazing audio drama, you know, uh, the Port Saga audio drama. right? you can actually talk to this. All of a sudden, a lot of people got inspired to do audio dramas. I don't know if you knew that. So in a weird way, you guys kind of started that spark for so many of our listeners who are now going into that realm. And the question I have for you, because you guys are like, old hats to this, you did season one. It was fantastic. What were the lessons from season one that you took to season two?
4: None. None. No I lessons. only made everything more difficult. I went from a cast of about 17. No, not even that. 13 to 28. I hired Ray. What? Wow. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not learning a
0: lesson. <laughs> no okay. lessons
4: learned there. And it, yes, so instead I just made more complicated settings, i.e. the shark tank story. Yes, I decided that I was going to put a scene in an empty shark tank that still had some water in it. And yes, it was it was a treat, let me tell you. And so I, I have learned no lessons. <laughs> whatsoever except so, make things more complicated more detailed and harder on myself
0: so it's like you climb the mountain in season one and you're like hey i could try to make this easier and leverage my knowledge or who does that? i could try to climb a mountain that's twice as high
4: that's exactly what sounds happened. like you went fantastic
0: yeah. dan like okay tell me you know what's happening with season two give the fans a legion of audience a little bit of insight to what they can expect for this season
5: Uh, Sure, and I'm going to be very careful so I don't spoil too much. But essentially, uh, we're returning to the city of Port Saga, which is this uh, uh, East Coast city uh, in uh, the Chesapeake Bay. And our, our protagonist... Uh, Titus Reed is, uh, takes place about 30 days after the finale from uh, season one. And so you have a new prince, you have a new uh, political sea change, and you have our, our young uh, vampire who's still sort of caught between all of these machinations. Well, the first season was a murder mystery as he was investigating the, the death of his maker. Uh, the second season is a, a political drama as you have this chess piece that is sort of caught between these very powerful vampiric forces. So it is a much more political game, uh, has a lot more of that sort of intrigue, and and Rachel has decided to essentially run Titus through the ringer, and the first episode, which came out last week, uh, definitely sort of ups those stakes very, very quickly, uh, and we're sort of left being with, you know, the sense of how is Titus going to get out of this, and we have a season to find out.
4: Always be crushing dreams.
5: Always be crushing dreams.
3: That's right. That's the key to writing. Have a main character you fall in love with and then beat the crap out of them every time you see them.
4: Pretty much.
0: Mine is that is that just life advice in general though? Definitely. <laughs> Always be crushing Because like, if I crush someone else's dream, that means my dreams are coming true. At least that's what Disneyland taught me when I went.
5: I think you know what I think it is? I think it's that you have sort of two different kinds of sort of Action protagonists, right? You have sort of your, uh, uh, you know, your your Tom Cruises and whatnot, who can fly planes and run really fast and shoot things and and just do no wrong and know how to do everything and competency or you, porn, right? Or you have the other side who are like normal people and like keep messing stuff up and keep getting their ass handed to them. You know, it's it's like the it's like Blade Runner where he spends uh, the most of the film kind of getting you know his butt kicked, and uh, those are the ones we can relate to, I think.
3: It. And then two things I would point out about having them on the show today. One, you, what you said before, James, is totally true. Port Saga was flat out an inspirational piece for reclaimed Detroit uh, Vampire the Masquerade audio drama. Rachel and Diane both appear in episodes one and two as callers to a, a radio station. And speaking of radio stations, uh, this is the role that I am taking on in season two of Port Saga. I am a conspiracy theorist radio show host living in a town of vampires and not really understanding but understanding more than most and it's driving me crazy.
4: Rip Steel. Rip Steel. Rip Steel. Rip
3: Steel's his name Rip Steel. and we worked on that together. Yes. I will say that was that was that was the melding of the minds of myself and Rachel. Rip Steel is his name.
5: It's an AM radio station. <laughs> it is.
0: PBS funded AM radio station. Um so is this so I, you know I love the whole multiverse kind of uh, culture we have going these days is reclaim Detroit a part of the uh, port Saga universe and vice versa or are
3: they completely separate who can say the world of vampire the masquerades a crazy place
4: We're also 30 years apart aren't we that's right aren't you We're in, in the 1996
3: 90s? and you guys
0: are in today yeah so okay let me, let me help you guys with some marketing the answer is yes. So if you want to know, you know, if you want to get a full picture of both, you need to listen to everything to really understand the layers, the levels of (laughs) intrigue, because that way you understand the underpinnings of the past. You know where I'm going with this. Listen to every episode that Ray puts out and definitely catch up with season two and binge season one of uh, Port Saga if you haven't. Now, last question, where can – Rachel, where can people listen to season two?
4: Everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google – Anything that has an RSS feed, you can listen to it on Audible, even Amazon. It's everywhere, and you can also listen/watch on YouTube. I don't know, watch/listen. There's no, there, there's no video, but I do make a little radio wave waveform to try to keep your interest oh, as you're listening. It so, so it's on YouTube too. <laughs>
0: All right, guys. This is fantastic. We have great judges. Judges, that's right, Legion of Audience, judges. We have the battle, which I gotta tell you, has excited me the most out of all the battles of Showdown September. This is the one that gets me, I gotta tell you, even more excited than the other ones. Let's get this party started. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup.
3: Representing Star Trek, the spaceship that doubles as a seamstress since its captain is so often telling it to make it so... The USS Enterprise and representing Star Wars, the spaceship that has almost as many guns as it does OSHA violations, the Imperial class Star Destroyer. Well done, Ray. Now,
0: before we go in, I'm (laughs) not Uh, going to lie. Hashtag dad jokes. Hashtag. (laughs) At least you tried. You know, at least you tried. That's all good. All right, now before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a hoodwin match, which are brought to you by Ethos Life Insurance, one of our great sponsors. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the hoodwin match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality. I guess a Star Destroyer has personality. Uh, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. So, Ray, again, you're using what version of the Star Destroyer again?
3: i gonna use the movie Star Wars version of Star Destroyers. Look, they've appeared in novels and that fan fiction legend stuff. I'm gonna purely keep it though to the emotion pictures, the, the motion pictures, not a, as Got opposed it. to the
0: still pictures. We don't do that. Yes, the silent, the silent age of film. We're using I'm talkies go, here, James. That's fair. I'm gonna go with the Enterprise E from the film. Had a feeling that are also directly connected with, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm going with that one, not doing the original Star Trek, not doing uh, what's currently on, um, you know, TV right now. I'm going with the classic, at least 80's classic, USS Enterprise. All right, rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are long established as part of the character's continuity feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, will be given less weight. Rule number five. The winner of the debate is whomever the judge decides is the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes, and where no outside interference is allowed. Finally, rule number six. The judge is the final... Sorry, the judge is... keep forgetting. The judges. Are the final arbiters and can disallow or veto any points they feel violate these rules or established logic. I had to conjugate that on the fly. Ray can tell you how hard that is for me to do. You almost did it too. Really? I was close? Close. Awesome. All right. (laughs) Before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Would Win store to get your very own Who Would Win merchandise and accessories. Go to whowouldwinstore.com to get your hands on some Who Would Win merch, some mugs, some shirts, more mugs different shirts and mugs go do it right now
3: we have a new sponsor for who would win and i think y'all might enjoy this one it is marvel strike force marvel strike force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about marvel comics you get to pick a squad of your favorite marvel heroes you know and villains let's keep it real and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and of course save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty handed cause if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force, and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me.
1: Book your virtual visit today at joinMIDI.com.
0: Need to supercharge your hiring? You need a
3: super hiring partner. You need Indeed. I've been a fan of Indeed.com for a long time and been singing their praises for even longer. You know, one of the things I love about Indeed is that not only can you find a great job on Indeed.com, start there, great place to look, but if you're hiring... You can invite candidates, right? Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply for your job than candidates who just kind of see it in a random search. That's according to U.S. Indeed data. It's like you invite somebody and they feel welcome to your party, right? They're more likely to want to work for you or at least check out what this job's all about. And we'll get you one step closer to that hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates with Indeed. Indeed's going to do the hard work for you. It shows you the candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your description immediately after you post. You're going to find the people. They're going to put them right in front of you so you can hire even faster. And these are quality candidates. These are people who already meet your minimum expectations right off the top at the beginning.
0: Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash www offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash www indeed.com slash www terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. Speaking of now, Let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants.
3: Ray, please give us the details for the Star Destroyer. The Imperial-class Star Destroyer is a capital ship of the Galactic Empire. They were created by George Lucas through Kuat Drive Yards and first appeared in Star Wars A New Hope in 1977, but also appeared in a novelization of the film that technically came out first. Star Destroyers are effectively giant battleships in space. These ships are seen as motherships that serve as the base of operations for an entire galaxy or more, led by teams of important Imperial commanders and even more Imperial troops inside. These ships wreak havoc on the Rebel Alliance and when one shows up you know things are about to get real. The Empire would send six of these ships to overpower industrial worlds, and at the peak of the Empire, it is estimated that over 25,000 Imperial destroyers were around. Fun fact, it might surprise Star Wars fans to realize that George Lucas actually tried to make the most realistic version of his Space Wizard movie that he possibly could. In that, Lucas hired former NASA employee Colin Cantwell to help bring to life his vehicles as a visual designer. Colin was responsible for the visual look of the Sandcrawler, Landspeeder, X-Wing, Y-Wing, and the Star Destroyers, with the final version of the Star Destroyer being a hybrid of his Star Destroyer, one word, and Imperial Cruiser designs. So there you go. NASA proves that these ships are plausible, and that is the Star Destroyer. How does that prove the ships are plausible? It just means they're a combination of two designs. Designed by NASA, James, that means we can make them. If we wanted to. You hear that, Elon (laughs) Musk? Let's go to Mars in a Star Destroyer. Or you can go to Mars. That's fine.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Um, All right. Here are the details for the USS Enterprise. The USS Enterprise, often referred to as the Starship Enterprise, is the name of several fictional spacecraft for the television series and films in the Star Trek science fiction franchise. The Enterprise was designed by Matt Jeffries and first appeared in the pilot episode of Star Trek the series in 1966. The Starship USS Enterprise is a space exploration vessel built by the United Federation of Planets in the 23rd century – on a mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, and to boldly go where no one has gone before. However, don't let the title of science exploration vessel fool you. The Enterprise has a long history of taking on, defeating, and absolutely wrecking those civilizations bent on destroying or conquering the Federation of Planets. Synonymous with space kickassery, the, yeah, that's a term now, space kickassery, the Enterprise continues to be the Federation's flagship, the bastion of hope for humanity, and the one ship every member of Starfleet dreams of being assigned to. Captained by legendary leaders such as Picard, Pike, and Kirk, the Enterprise has cemented itself as legend in sci-fi, representing the glorious potential technological and societal achievements awaiting mankind in the future, possibly, maybe, who knows. And here's an interesting fact about the Enterprise. Did you know that when the original series first came out, that many people actually thought the ship was flipped upside down by mistake? It's true. When doing a feature on the original Star Trek back in the 1960s, TV Guide included a photo of Enterprise in all her glory. There's only one problem. The photo they used was upside down. The unique design of the ship with its warp, what's called nacelles, those long kind of warp drive things on the back, and flying saucer-esque disc shape up front caused confusion among many who saw it and wound up seeing things with different perspectives, so to speak. There are numerous stories about Enterprise models being hanged upside down, drawn upside down and causing headaches for everyone involved ah uh, the 60s and now you have the facts on both opponents rachel and David do you have
5: any questions before we get started for the enterprise you said the enterprise e e as in edward as in the okay got it got it that'd be the sovereign class uh, starship enterprise gotcha okay that's correct. I'm assuming there's like this is all empty space. There's no like weird Mutara Nebula going on. Uh but for me it's gonna be about armament and who's commanding and uh yeah.
0: All right. <laughs>
5: with that
3: being said, it is time. Ray, go ahead and hit us with your point number one. Point number one for the Star Destroyer. Let's just talk about the immense size and power of the Star Destroyer. Because one thing that I can tell just by looking at these two mighty vessels is that one is considerably larger than the other. And you notice larger things tend to take more damage to destroy. Smaller things tend to take less damage to destroy. That's just the nature of size. And the size of the uh, Star Destroyer is 1600 meters, which is over one mile in size versus and the starship uh, enterprises vary but somewhere between 300 and 800 meters for your average uh, starship enterprise at best i don't i don't even think they really get half the size of the star destroyer so we're talking about a david and goliath kind of a situation and we all remember what happened then goliath thumped him good now What is inside this gooey goodness of the Imperial-class Star Destroyer is 9,700 stormtroopers per destroyer versus 100 crew members of the Enterprise. There are 9,235 officers on top of that and 27,850 additional crew to keep this thing going versus 850 science-based passengers for the Starship Enterprise, if you notice this, that's a lot of crew members keeping this thing going. Which means that if one system goes down, they have hundreds of people to scramble to fix it. And we've seen what happens on the Enterprise when one of these like uh, uh, warp drives goes down. There's like one dude who's missing half an arm, who's got to crawl over there and fix the darn thing using his wizardry-like science. You just got size. This is this is a whole lot of being like Walmart versus. mom and pop shop quite honestly the Walmart just has more resources because at the end of the day the Star Destroyers are known you drop one in orbit and you can overwhelm an entire rebel planet just with one Star Destroyer alone an Enterprise shows up and they try to take tissue samples of the frogs and that's the difference here that's the difference between these two ships one is built for battle the other is built for science And I love me some scientists, but the warriors defeat the scientists when it comes to punching pretty much all the time. Plus, you know, I know that there are shields involved in the Enterprise that can be overwhelmed. We've seen it. There's also reflector shields on the uh, Star Destroyer as well. So both have really, really strong shields. I'd argue it takes stronger and bigger shields to work for a Star Destroyer because there is so much more surface area that you have to cover. And what happens when somebody like shoots and blasts out a chunk of the Star Destroyer? We cut to the bridge and everybody's fine and they're just working it out. When somebody takes a piece out of the Enterprise, you look over and there's just people flying all over the place, running into rails, flipping upside down, slamming into walls, The Enterprise can't take a hit. The Enterprise gets hit and everybody just starts flailing about blowing up sections and having to shut down their various systems. At the end of the day, this is a knife brought to a gunfight as far as the Enterprise is concerned, and that's my point number one. How dare you
0: is all I'm going to say right now. Look, this is more of a battle of a killer whale versus a blue whale, right? Sure, the blue whale is Bigger, I guess pound for pound could be a little bit stronger, can exert more force. But what happens when a killer whale takes on a blue whale, you know, especially when they, they kind of go after it, it goes in and surgically removes and surgically, I mean, horrifically, its liver eats it, eats its tongue, picks what away what it wants. And the blue whale is dead. An orca can absolutely destroy something much, much bigger. This is the exact same thing that's about to happen here. Ray, what you're missing.
3: Did I rep the wrong character today? And was I supposed to be reping a blue whale? I'm confused.
0: <laughs> what I'm trying to say right now is that when you have someone like that, that has that surgical precision, Not scientifically only, but surgical precision of the Enterprise that can pick apart a ship the way it can versus just, I'm going to shoot whatever I can at someone else. The surgically faster, powerful type of ship is going to overcome the bigger. Lumberous type of ship that we've got. On top of that, you know, you've got way more people on the Star Destroyer. That is true. But I'm going to go over quality versus quantity. We're talking about the Federation here. I'll talk about this more. To get into the Federation, to get into Starfleet, and to get on the Enterprise, that means you're an insanely special, highly accomplished person as opposed to, you know, the enslaved slash enlisted forced people that they have to put on the Star Destroyer. That is a hor- horrible, horrible fact. Let me get to my point number one in all of this. Alright, let's talk about what the Enterprise from point number one. Let's talk about what the Enterprise can do and some of the opponents taken on and some other cool stuff. So, The Enterprise has, number one, they have amazing scanning technology. They can detect power capabilities of a ship, weapons, defensive ability, shield, engine location. It can scan ships from millions of miles away. The Enterprise typically has a very good idea of what it's facing before it even engages an opponent in combat or battle. It's got targeting computers that can pinpoint and track targets, as well as determine weak and vulnerable spots on a ship to fire at. We've got the most advanced AI and advanced computer in the Federation that is actually on the uss enterprise ship right now it can do evasive maneuvers that can be done manually or already pre-programmed into the computer of the enterprise its shields are vastly superior to those of the Star Destroyer. in fact in the star wars universe the types of shields that are common for the enterprise are highly experimental tech uh in the star wars universe and it's in possession of like one small group and they're not even really that great at using it and here's a hint it's not the empire that has that but more on that later Another fun fact, Star Trek has teleportation technology and can beam people and objects onto the Star Destroyer, get past whatever little shielding it has. What is stopping the Enterprise from beaming a tor- uh, some type of torpedo into the engine area of the Death Star and letting it detonate, and maybe doing that a few dozen times? The Enterprise is also highly adaptable. Just like when they fought the Borg, they were able to analyze their tech, create a harmonic disruptor to easily get past their shields. And the Borg Cube spaceship is a much more dangerous enemy than the Star Destroyer, at least in my opinion. Then there's maneuverability. The the Enterprise can go to Warp 9. The Sword Destroyer can go into hyperspace. I get it. That's fast. However, this isn't a race. It's a fight. And in terms of combat speed, the Enterprise can fight much faster than the Star Destroyer. In terms of fighting speed, the Enterprise has full impulse listed as one quarter of the speed of light. That is awesome, which means it can fly that fast while it's fighting, shooting phasers, torpedoes, while taking invasive maneuvers. Star Destroyers, on the other hand, Ray, they can only fly at 975 kilometers per hour unless they go into hyperspace, but then they'd have to get out of there. The Enterprise's deflector shields could take the equivalent of 90 photon torpedoes at once. Doesn't want to do it, but it can, which means it can take hit equal check this out to 144,900 megatons of force and be fine and the cool part about the deflector shield technology is that it regenerates thanks to the power of the enterprise so if its shields go down by 20 percent they can over time pop it back up thanks to what the enterprise can do also my next point i'm going to describe how much more powerful their shields are compared to the weak shields of the star destroyer now this also brings me the key differences between who is on each ship i mentioned this before the star destroyer has imperial troops Galore. Sure. They have personnel who are there. They got janitors. They got cooks. They got service people as well as, you know, pilots and soldiers and what have you. But most of these people are there because they were forced to or because they were too afraid to leave because, you know, they'll get killed. So fear does not bring out the best in people, especially when things go wrong, because when things go wrong, the starter story, we've seen time and time again how people on board panic and kind of lose their minds. Not blame them, by the way. I'm just saying that's the thing that happens. Now, Starfleet, on the other hand, says before, trains people to be cool under pressure, to anticipate problems, and most importantly, to rise to the challenge. They are a different breed from the enslaved-slash-enlisted members of the Imperial Army. Look, the Star Destroyer has greater numbers, sure, but the people on board aren't exactly there because they believe in the cause. The crew on the Enterprise, on the other hand, they're there because they want to serve on the greatest ship on the fleet. As much as as that, they they kind of want to earn their place of respect and kind of live up to name enterprise and kind of do well and do good things by starfleet it's like the battle of thermopylae i think i'm saying that right where you know the 300 spartans took on an invading army numbering the thousands except this time the spartans i.e the enterprise can't be attacked from behind they've got superior ground they got better position they got better everything
3: that is my point number one that is that is a whole lot of words that you're saying right there that means so very little James, you talk about scanning from millions of miles away. One, that's just not a thing we've seen them do. The Starship Enterprise always has to get in somewhat closer before they can actually see what they're dealing with. They don't scan from 10, 20 universes away and then say, ah, we're just going to go there. Now we know exactly what's there. They're always taken by surprise when they come out of warp space. It happens all the time, not to mention the fact that we have the shields. You say, well, why don't they just beam across? Well, because The shields in the Star Trek universe, when they're up, prevent beaming. Shields in the Star Wars universe, which are energy fields, would also prevent beaming. That's the whole deal. I mean, look at this. The shields in the Star Wars universe were of a certain variety for a long time, and they were known epically enough as ray shields, so you know that they were powerful. Well, what those shields did is that they deflected and diffused incoming projectiles and energy and everything. So the Empire created something called a turbo laser, which cut right through it as if it's not even there, which forced everyone to upgrade their shields to these reflector shields that Star Destroyers now carry. So when you say those shields aren't the same, that is hogwash, and we'll talk more about those weapons soon enough. Hold on, Ray, do you get how space works? Like, do you understand the, the distance
0: between objects in space? I know
3: that in space, no one can hear you scream.
0: Of mm, I, I was in space now. Here's the thing. In terms of that, this is within character. They do scan things from very far away. They've done it before a number of times on the show. That's definitely within character. And as far, and, and you know what? I'll wait until my second point to really, really kind of bring up more key differences of the shields and firepower between the two ships. With all that being said, Rachel and Dan, you've heard one point from Ray. You've heard one point from me. Where's your head at so far with this battle?
5: So right now, uh, based on the point, you know, both of you have made some very valid points uh, with with the Enterprise. The Enterprise is a much more maneuverable uh, a starship, which I think uh, you know, is is going to be very important here. Um, it can sort of dance circles around uh, the Star Destroyer. Uh, you brought up the point about it combating the Borg. I'm not entirely convinced, only because every time they've engaged the Borg and defeated the Borg, there's always been like a bunch of other ships there and uh, they needed Picard who became Locutus to like, you know, uh, turn everyone to sleep. So like, I don't think they got that going. So the Borg was not, was not is not a convincing argument. Uh, on the flip side, with the Star Destroyer, it's a giant tank. It can take a lot of damage. And I am convinced uh, slightly by the, the sheer number of people on board who don't want to die, in spite of the fact that they may or may not be you know enslaved and want to be there. But like, if a system blows up, there's a line of people out the door to help fix it. And uh, yeah, I find that very convincing. I, I, right now, I'm, 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 I'm still reserving judgment, but right now, I've, 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 I've heard two very, very uh, well-researched, thoughtful arguments from two very intelligent people.
3: Now you're just sucking up.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I'm hedging my bets.
4: When I first heard about this matchup, my instinct was that the Star Destroyer was going to lose very badly. The reason why I thought this is because ragtag rebels wreck them all the time. X-wing fighters are always taking the star destroyers down. And I so so and then you have like an entire Klingon empire that can't take down the Enterprise. So so my instincts were there, but I will say, Ray, you made some compelling points. You did, especially when you consider the fact that They are two ships going head to head. I do agree that there is something about just being sheer mass and being twice as large. And it's like, is a bee sting going to hurt a person only if you're allergic? Well, we have to decide. Is the Star Detroit allergic to the Enterprise? I don't know.
0: Mm, Interesting. I like how you guys think. Uh, especially Dane, because he gave us a lot of compliments. But, Rachel, you're here, too, and uh, I like how you think, too. This is good. All right, race to Canis. I think I'm winning, but we'll see. Hit us with your point number two. Point
3: number two for the Imperial-class Star Destroyer. We're going to talk about everything else that comes inside the ship and what makes it a hulking battleship. And you say before, oh, the Enterprise. It never seems to be taken down. Remind me, why are we on letter E of the Enterprise right now? Why is it E because they started and they just thought E was a good letter to start with? Or did four Enterprises before it get blown up? (laughs) And we're more blown up, including E, after the fact, to go all the way down the letterboard until we get to Zeta. And then I guess they go Enterprise AA. I don't know. But a lot of Enterprises have been blown up, so I don't know if I love that talking point. Now, inside a Star Destroyer are no less than 72 TIE Fighters. 72 Tie Fighters all ready to swarm out, and if nothing else, occupy the Starship Enterprise. You talk about the maneuverability of the Enterprise. The maneuverability of a Tie Fighter is like ten times that of the Enterprise. At least those little those little suckers can fly, and they can shoot, distract, and get them to go where they need them to go. And at the end of the day, crash into them if they have to. Shoot, they're Tie Fighters. Who cares? But the weaponry on board the Imperial Class Star Destroyer. Dozens of these ion cannons, the ones that tear through, and that's the turbo lasers. Ion cannons are even bigger, powerful, blow things up. The firepower is incredible. Proton torpedo tubes. So they got missiles that shoot in space by the dozens as well. Hundreds of these turbo lasers that cut through the most powerful ray strength armor that you could possibly have. They overload deflector shields. They do everything good. They're great versus shields and armor. They're built specifically to bring down shields. that's why they're so strong. Eight giant turret gun stations that's more weapons what is what does the enterprise have? They got like their their little phaser beam and they got two tubes for photon torpedoes, two tubes Shoo. reload Shoo. Meanwhile, just hundreds and hundreds of missiles, barrages, firepower are coming from the Imperial class Star Destroyer. The Enterprise can't duck it all. They're all being manned by uh, truly powerful Imperial officers who know how to shoot. Look, yes, this, there's less accurate firing happening from the Star Destroyer, but who cares when you have three to four hundred times the bullet output, if you will? This is a machine gun versus a shooter. not to mention the tractor beams. Imperial-class Star Destroyers have tractor beams, so James is going to pretend that the Starship Enterprise, we zip it all around, oh, I'm dodging literally every single thing you've ever shot at me. Meanwhile, we're just going to shoot a tractor beam at the Starship Enterprise, hold it in place, and blow it up with all of the weapons, because that's something that we can do. An Imperial-class Star Destroyer is a warship that is built to blow up other warships. The Enterprise is an exploration vessel which carries a glorified science team. This is what would happen if one of our military battleships from the year 2022 ran into Darwin's ship as he studied the Galapagos Islands. It's just too much for the other side to deal with, and that's my point
4: number two. That was a deep cut, Ray. Went for it. (laughs)
0: that was deep i I like how ray's quantitative analysis is it's just too much that is the closest that i think ray has gotten to math in quite some time and my hat is off to you good sir but you I brought a lot of for Just for the record, that was a good one. That's that's a good mathematical equation. Okay, I got, I got a little bit of pushback on here. Now, here's the deal: the the range, the ability to angle shots and what have you, like where they can shoot, everything's kind of in a fixed position. Tractor beams, everything else, they kind of shoot straight ahead. Like maybe a turret can turn a little bit, but it's not omnidirectional. Something that the the Enterprise can shoot in terms of direction. On top of that, you know, you're you're right. There have been like four different Star Trek or um, Enterprises before e i got that as well with a b c and d well done race to canis now quick question how many star destroyers have been destroyed just wondering
3: the one i'm talking about today has never been destroyed that's why it's in this battle
0: that's right and the same thing the enterprise e so we're kind of good there now on top of that uh let's see what is the sound of torpedoes being shot again that was really don't do
3: repeats james
0: that's fair finally i gotta tell you Ion cannons, turbo lasers, what's really important is to understand, and this is why I love Star Wars and Star Trek, is that people actually put equations and numbers to these attacks and speeds and what have you. So you can actually do, unlike what Ray did, a quantitative analysis and a side-by-side comparison, which is what I want to do for a lot of my point number two. So my point number two, let's talk about the weapons of the Enterprise and some of the Star Destroyers. Weaknesses. This is going to be really cool. So, in terms of weapons, the Enterprise has 16 phaser arrays, 10 torpedo launchers, 250 torpedoes with at least photon torpedoes. With at least 20 even more powerful quantum torpedoes. Yeah, that's now a thing. So just how powerful are the phasers and torpedoes? So the phasers from the Enterprise can hit with a power of 650 megatons. Two shots from the Enterprise can easily destroy a mountain. Phasers alone can easily destroy cities and an entire planet if they wanted to. Now, when I say that, I don't mean they're destroying the planet completely. They can turn the planet to rubble, you know, on the surface of the planet. A photon torpedo hits with a power of 1,610 megatons. That's insane. Keep in mind, the strongest nuclear bomb ever tested was 50 megatons. A quantum torpedo even more powerful, measures at 3,373 megatons, which is theorized to be able to destroy a small moon. This is off a NASA website that did this cool analysis of Star Trek weapons and power and what have you. So fun fact, the phasers and torpedoes of the Enterprise can be fired from a much greater range than the weapons of the Star Destroyer. For example, a Star Destroyer's official tur- a turbo laser has an official combat range of less than 1,200 kilometers. Still not bad. Compare that to the range of the photon and quantum torpedoes of the Enterprise. You know, the quantum torpedoes have a range, or the torpedoes themselves have a range of, check this out, 3,500,000 kilometers. The phasers have a range of 300,000 kilometers. That's quite a difference in the range. Now, let's talk about the Star Destroyer's weaknesses. The Star Destroyer has most of its weapons on the side of the ship with a few underneath and some on top which means that's going to have a hard time hitting the very quick and nimble enterprise right speaking of nimble the Star Destroyer is not nimble whatsoever it's slow it's plodding takes forever to change direction sure it can go into hyperspace again I've already mentioned this it can go in a straight line real fast but going to hyperspace would mean they're leaving that field of battle and uh, they're not leaving they're going to try to fight this out to the end now the Star Destroyer shields are really not that p- powerful in comparison to the enterprise so in the Empire Strikes Back the shields were useless when the Star Destroyer went into an asteroid field. I don't know if you remember this. Not only could they not get out of the way of the asteroids, but the asteroids destroyed the Star Destroyers almost instantly. There's this great scene where Darth Vader is talking to like, holographic images, I think, of two or three commanders from other Star Destroyers. And as he's talking to them, one of the commanders, their, their Star Destroyer is getting hit with asteroids. And he's looking at Darth Vader and all of a sudden he's like, oh, no, he puts his hands up in fear and his image just disappears. Darth Vader being really cool doesn't even skip a beat and just keeps talking to the other two as if like nothing happened. Really, really cool. But again, asteroids destroy it. So, how does the Enterprise do it in an asteroid belt? Oh, that's right. They maneuver successfully within it. If they do get hit, their shields protect them against the impact. In Rogue One, a small squadron, what we're called Y Wing fighters, disables an entire Star Destroyer with non, nine ion torpedoes. I counted them. That's how much better I am. They shot, and these Y Wing fighters shot them at super close range, like literally on top of the Star Destroyers. So they couldn't, they couldn't miss. And they were literally attacking, you know, in a straight line, not from all different angles over them, in a straight line formation, very military style and just shot nine through the whole squadron. They all hit, they took out, completely took out the Star Destroyer, crashed the whole thing. It was really, really cool. Speaking of even more torpedoes, the Star Destroyer can be damaged with proton torpedoes in Star Wars, which hit with the power of one kiloton. That's pretty good. Not a megaton, a kiloton. And that is 1,000 times weaker than a megaton. You see where I'm going with this. Photon torpedoes, quantum torpedoes versus the torpedoes of what Star Wars fighters shoot at. There's a huge difference in power. In Star Wars canon, the most powerful yet experimental shield was one developed by the rebels, which was called and also worked like a deflector shield. This was experimental, used only by the rebels. So that means the most powerful shields in Star Wars are deflector shields, like the ones that come standard on the Enterprise and that the Empire doesn't have them. By the way... Let's talk about evasive maneuvers for a Star Destroyer. It's not gonna happen, of course. Designed to be the big bully type of ship. It's not meant to move in a circle, side to side, or get out of the way. It counts on having superior firepower and being and having better shielding than its opponents, which is why it's an absolute disaster in a matchup when it meets up like a ship with the Enterprise. The Enterprise can outmaneuver it, has better firepower, better shields. And also, the phasers, again, they're omnidirectional, which means they can shoot in any direction, and they can shoot it at super, super speed. If you have five, six, dozens of ships coming at it, they're going to be able to take them out in quick bursts of that phaser. Listen, the Star Destroyer has a greater number of weapons, sure, but their weapons are highly ineffective, much weaker, and a fraction of the power of what the Enterprise has at its disposal. That is my point number two
3: highly ineffective weapons we've seen them just tear through fleets by themselves in the star wars universe fleets of of uh, starships are the same size if not bigger of, than the starship of enterprise comparable technology you're right yeah, of but comparable the technology, technology is a they push do well. the technology is very much a push between these two that. worlds Uh, yeah well here's the deal hyperspace is faster than warp speed so you tell me I think that means Star Wars technology is definitely better because they've mastered how to make a big ship go faster James you said a lot of nonsense and I need my time here because nobody's buying the crap that you're throwing right now quite honestly hundreds of millions of miles away they can shoot and then James has the sheer audacity to say that the that the uh, Star Destroyer is going to battlefield remove itself he just suggested going hundreds of millions of miles away from the battle and then says I'm going to battlefield remove myself. Nonsense. And also, what is possibly... I, I know how space works. I know how lasers work. When you shoot at something from hundreds of millions of miles away... It's not going to be there anymore by the time it actually gets there. So the, 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 the ability to hit with it, the accuracy is going to be in the toilet. And listen, and you and then you then you have the audacity to bring up, oh, it got blown up by a bunch of Y Wings getting in very, very close and getting in the trenches and fighting this after you just argued the Enterprise is gonna run away and hide and try to shoot from a distance. So what you just told me was the Star Destroyer can't be destroyed from long range, only close range, and your battle plan is to fight me at long range. You lose, James. This is already over.
0: I like the yelling. (laughs) I don't know. I find it soothing. It's kind of interesting. All right. Listen, we are at the turning point where after hearing two points from me speaking in normal tone and Ray using his outside voice, we have where Rachel and Dan tell us. Who is ahead and what the other side has to do to win? But before we get to what Rachel Dan have to say, let's celebrate the Who Would Win Patron of the Week. Every week we choose one of our amazing members of the Who Would Win Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today?
3: Today we are going with one of our first patrons, one of our favorite patrons, Lord Snurts is back in the hot seat.
0: Lord Snertz is back? Huh, okay. Alright, I got no choice. We're going with a heavy hitter up close and personal. Let's have him go up against Captain
3: America. Captain America versus Lord Snertz. Now, at the end of the day, Captain America is but a captain. He is a great captain. He is a high-ranking officer in the military. But you know what is a higher-ranking position than captain? A lord. A lord controls a, a block of land and has serfs that work underneath him. So the problem with Captain America is he shows up to the castle of Lord Snurts and tries to defeat him with his shield. At which point, all of the serfs throw down their plows and their, and their scythes and pick up swords and makeshift spears. Captain America sees, I am the aggressor on a foreign land. This is not what America's all about. It might have used to be, but that's not what I stand for as Captain America, and I am here for everything that America is supposed to be about. So he will see all of the serfs rising up to face him and he will turn tail and battlefield remove himself because he knows it is not right. Lord Snurts wins just like that. Never having to lift a finger,
0: you know, captain America can do this all day in terms of running away and battlefield removing himself. I got to agree with the outcome of this battle. Congratulations. Lord starts. Remember you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patron.com who would win show and sign up. And you may be featured in an upcoming episode of who would win. Now, Rachel and Dan, you've had a moment to ponder two points from both Ray and myself. Who do you think is ahead and what does the other side have to pull out the victory? Let's talk. start
5: with you, Dan. What's going on in your mind right now in this fight? Uh, first, I'm gonna point out that you decided to pick Star Wars and Star Trek, the the two most- uh, There's some uh,
4: emotions there's, happening there's, right, like, right now like, between there are some listeners. Fanat-
5: there are some fanatical fan bases here and no matter what happens- We like, need to
4: honor some feelings. <sighs>
5: <laughs> one side is going to love you, and the other side is going to whip out those pitchforks. Just just
4: send all nasty grams to Ray.
5: This is a bold move. They're, okay. they're
0: coming anyway. That's where they go anyway. Yeah.
5: So right now, I I love both of these uh, worlds. I've watched them all. I've watched every single Star Trek. I even hate watched Enterprise, which was its own little thing. That was the Scott Bakula one. I've watched all the Star Wars movies. Right? I'm down. So the Star Wars enterprise E. Is combat capable? Absolutely. It was designed after uh, uh, their encounter with the Borg. It was designed to help fight in the Dominion War. like it is, it is no joke. It's also very, very maneuverable. It is, however, populated by, essentially uh, scientists. These are people who are trained for combat, but they don't live it. They weren't born it. They went to, they essentially went to college, they went to Starfleet Academy and now they're on the enterprise. When it comes to the Empire, I'm paused by the 72 TIE Fighters. Like, that's a lot. And, and that's, a, that's a, a bit of swarm tactics that we have not seen the Enterprise be able to deal with. I, I'm less impressed by the 9,000 stormtroopers, since stormtroopers can't really shoot worth a damn. So, right now, I'm putting them in the same sort of general space. None of this, you know, shooting at each other from, you know, light years apart. Like, they're both on screen. You can see them both. I'm leaning slightly towards the Enterprise, but but for me, I need to know how the Star Destroyer is going to deal with the Sovereign class's maneuverability. That's what I need to know.
4: So I want to say that I was very impressed with James's numbers. Those 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 numbers were highly persuadable when we're talking about the weapon power. So I I, I feel very strongly drawn towards that. And I think, Ray, you really have to figure out how you're going to shut down those weapons. But I have still not heard who is captaining captaining these ships. I want to know who's making the decisions.
0: Interesting. Okay. So right now, I think what you're saying is I have persuaded you so far that the Starship Enterprise, the E version anyway, is slightly ahead. And listen, Legion of Audience, we've all known, I've been slightly ahead a number of times before, and then Ray still pulls that victory from out of nowhere. So I'm not resting easy right now. Ray, go ahead and hit us your point number three.
3: For point number three, first off, the weapons that James bring up, those are some very impressive numbers. But you have to remember, those weapons that destroyed the Star Destroyers are from smaller aircraft than the Enterprise that got inside the shields and then were able to drop them without the shields being able to be in the way of them, Right. The Enterprise is just not... It's too big. It's not going to be able to get that close. It wouldn't want to get that close to the Star Destroyer because it would just get torn to ribbons by all the weapons that I mentioned. So I don't think those weapons can pierce the shields of the Star Destroyer. It'd have to get inside of them, which it's just not capable of doing. Now... You also want to talk about beaming aboard the ship. Of course, uh, the Enterprises had trouble beaming things through shields before. They need people to drop their shields for them to beam things inside. I don't think that the Imperial Star Destroyer is going to just drop its shields in the middle of this battle, right? No. And even if they did beam a a group of people inside, one of their small away teams, let's face it, half of them are going to be red shirts and get murdered right away. When the stormtroopers shoot miss and the red shirts die anyway. Now, also, they're going to get overwhelmed. The only reason why I earlier brought up that there are 9,700 stormtroopers and that many officers is that's how many people are going to be there to take on a seven person beamed aboard crew. That's a lot of soldiers to take out that much, and none of them have Jedi mind trick powers that I remember at least. Now, you want to talk about who's piloting the ship? Who, of course, is going to be piloting the Imperial class Star Destroyer? Then one, Darth. Vader. Of course, Vader assumes control of the Star Destroyer. One, he's one of the greatest pilots in the history of Star Wars. He knows how to get more out of his machine than maybe anybody else in that entire universe, but not just that. Vader can just force choke members of the Enterprise one after another after another. As we watch, uh, you remember the Last Man on Earth TV show when it was all of a sudden every leader of America just started going down from their virus? He's going to start crashing the chain of command one throat at a time until finally, I'll say it, Wesley Crusher is the captain of the ship. And if you think Wesley Crusher can defeat Darth Vader in in, in, a, in a battle in space, I believe you've had one too many and it's time to go home. Now, you talk about the sensors. Oh, the powerful sensor technology of Star Wars. I don't need sensors. I have the Force. I can feel your presence. I can feel your presence when you try to beam people. I can feel what you're about to do. Darth Vader could probably astral project himself onto the bridge of the Enterprise as a Force ghost. Why not? It's space magic. And know exactly what they're going to do ahead of time. I mentioned before, hyperspace is faster than warp speed, which pretty much ultimately proves that Star Wars tech is better. They might not have the doodads and the holodecks and the replicators that Star Trek has, but as far as the pure uh, uh, physical military meat science goes, Star Wars world has it in spades. And who can forget, if you hit the Enterprise, and the Enterprise will get hit, James can pretend that, oh, they're so maneuverable. I said, I knew, I told you he was going to do it. They don't never get hit by anything. We've seen the Enterprise get hit by so much. And so many different uh, characters, classes of ship, everything. The Borg ship is probably a great example. The Borg ship, you know, did some bad things to the Enterprise at one point. We've seen lasers pierce the hull of the Enterprise before. Like, literally cut it up. So when the Enterprise starts getting hit, they start losing sections of the ship. That's just what happens. So what happens when one of these shots hits life support? We're in trouble. Hits the warp core? We're in trouble. Weapon systems, shield systems, gravity station. Anything that goes down in the Enterprise, any one thing is going to lead to their defeat. (laughs) Because they're going to have to remove something else to make it work and hodgepodge jury rig this thing together. And the the Star Destroyer is not letting up. It's a battleship that's going to keep barraging the Enterprise with everything to the point where they're just not going to have the ability to turn because turning requires not moving. And as soon as they stop to turn to fire at the Star Destroyer because the Star Destroyer has weapons all around it, it's going to get blown straight up out of the sky if Vader doesn't choke out every single person on board first. And that's my point number three.
0: You know, all I got to say, Ray, is I was a little worried because I thought you were going to say piloting the ship is Admiral Thrawn. That would have had me really, really worried. Now, I'm not saying I'm sleeping easy with Darth Vader there because, yeah, I love Darth Vader and that's fantastic. But Admiral Thrawn, I really thought that's where you're going to go. But with that being said, I'm not underestimating what Darth Vader can do. Okay, let me kind of push back a little bit on here. Look,
3: I considered fellow ginger Hux, but I went against it in the 11th hour.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. (laughs) Hux was, uh, yeah. All right, less said about that, the better. Okay, so first of all, the Enterprise E is actually designed for combat. Dan, you you wonderfully said that earlier, so let's just kind of get put that out there. Uh, secondly, Darth Vader attacking the Enterprise as a Force ghost, which mean would mean he uh, died. So you're saying he dies in this encounter, Ray, and then somehow immediately activates his Force ghost. I'm talking about astral as
3: projection. Vampires in Vampire the Masquerade can do it. Why not Darth Vader? He's a space wizard.
0: Darth Vader uses the Force as a space wizard, which is now equivalent to vampires. Okay, I'm not really following all that. Okay, let's talk about the TIE Fighters. Just go back real quick. Interesting fact about TIE Fighters, they don't really have great shielding. Their lasers are not super powerful, and they can only fly at about 1,200 kilometers per hour. I kind of was like weirded out by that one. That's actually way slower than the uh, quarter of light speed at impulse power that the Enterprise can move around. So they're not going to be a big deal. They'll get taken out by, ph- by phasers. All of this is really, really cool, but it's just, I, I think, you know, the big thing we're missing here is that Darth Vader can be outthought. He can be fooled. I'm not happy with what I'm about to say. Uh, the last one of the few last episodes of um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney Plus, where it was really impressive. He goes into that clearing. He sees the ship that he believes Obi-Wan is on. It takes off. He holds it down. Impressive display of the Force. It's not a huge ship, but still, it's impressive. He brings it back down. He sees it. You know, kind of breathing hard. And the ship that Kenobi is on is actually behind it and takes off instead. And then he's just kind of spent and can't go, go after it. So he has been outthought, outmaneuvered before, just putting that out there. Okay, let me get to my point number three. Let's finally answer that question and talk about who else is on the Enterprise E. Let's go over the, the main crew. We've got Jean Luc Picard, of course. We've got Commander William Riker. We've got Jory LaForge. He's just one of my personal favorites. We've got Worf. We've got Deanna Troy. And we've got Data. Wesley Crusher's um, not there for some reason. He had homework or what have you. Now, let's say Darth Vader force chokes Jean-Luc Picard, right? Riker's going to step up into his place and take insanely severe action right away. We saw that when the Borg revealed that they had captured Captain Jean-Luc Picard and revealed him as Locutus. Riker's like, damn, all right, well, now you're going to die. That's what he does. He'll jump into action. And by the way, everyone's going to follow him because that's what they do. That's the, the 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 discipline of Starfleet officers. By the way, if Riker doesn't step up, there's Worf. There's Data. You get my point. The strength of the Enterprise is that if one person goes down in a position of authority, someone else automatically knows to step up and everyone else willingly steps in line. Look, if Darth Vader goes down, which would suck, if he did go down, there's going to be a power play. People are going to be fighting for like, no I'll command, no I'll command. It's not as clearly delineated as we think. Now, there's the resourcefulness for the Star Trek crew and their innovative strategies there's the picard maneuver this is really cool which involves going warp speed in a close distance to create i'm using a quote here sensor duplicates so it looks like the enterprise is in spot a they use warp speed just to go to spot b very close by fools the sensors of the ship the ship doesn't know where to fire or they fire at the wrong one and when the enterprise actually ends up in point b that's when they start attacking totally works the picard maneuver is instantaneous awesome fun for the whole family. Also, just as we saw in The Last Jedi, the most horrific Star Wars film ever created, I'm just going on record saying that, except for this one part, which I loved, that was where that uh, commander was on the smaller ship, they're all escaping, and she turned it around, aimed it at the large, even bigger, (laughs) star destroyer, and hit hyper, went into hyperspace, and just shot herself like this cannon, this massive bullet, and destroyed that shit, kind of broke it in half, whatever. I loved it. I was actually cheering when I saw it, because I'm like, finally, the Infinite mass punch done Star Wars style. By the way, the infinite mass punch is Race to Canis' favorite move, favorite technique the Flash does of all time. You're welcome, Race to Canis. This is really important because when Riker was about to take on the board, when Picard shows up as Luc- uh, Lucutus, what does he say? He's like, all right, get ready for ramming speed, go to warp when I say so, they're a close distance. He's willing to go there. And the really cool part is, if you don't know this, the saucer the round part of the Enterprise can separate from the engine part with the two engine pieces at the end, the rocket engine, whatever you want to call them, warp engines, and they can actually shoot that warp engine part at warp speed using that infinite mass punch kind of thing into the Star Destroyer. That's going to screw things up. I'm saying they can do that if they want. They're that resourceful. Now... The Enterprise will know how to take out the shields, and they're going to continue doing scans. That's just something they're going to do. They're going to spot where the shields are, the generators are. They do this all the time. They're going to figure out how the Star Destroyer is going to work. So here's how I see this battle going. They're going to face off. Jean-Luc Picard is going to try to hail the Star Destroyer. Data's running scans, observes the full configuration of the Star Destroyers, their weapons, engines, defensive capabilities. Data says, sir, it appears to be a warship designed that can go at speeds greater than hours. However, it does not seem to be that maneuverable according to our scans. Picard says, open a hailing channel. All of a sudden, Darth Vader's on screen, and Deanna Troy is like, this is not good. I'm feeling this. This is bad. And Darth Vader starts saying, you got a couple of choices. Surrender yourself or be destroyed. Jean-Luc Picard, of course, goes, I don't do surrender. I, and all of a sudden, he stops talking, and he starts coughing. He holds his throat. Data looks at the screen and says, Darth Vader holding his hand out like he's choking him. And all of a sudden, Picard hits the ground, and everyone witnesses Picard die. With which Riker stands up, turns to the screen, and really just in his own head says it's on. They go into full combat mode and unleash absolute hell on the Star Destroyer. Now, here's the deal. Phasers, photon torpedoes, quantum torpedoes, the more insanely powerful torpedoes, they rock the Star Destroyer, just crushing it. It takes on insane damage. Their engines and shields start to fail, just like when they're hit with the less powerful ion torpedoes that were hit at close range. The Enterprise is maneuvering away from all the TIE fighters, using phasers to shoot them all the time. Evasive maneuvers done all that kind of good stuff. Things are going really, really well for them. They're getting hit as well. They're taking on damage for records like, you just killed our captain, we're taking you out. Size doesn't matter. They get in close. All of a sudden, engines are destroyed. There's explosions all over the Star Destroyer. Darth Vader senses a presence and turns around and sees this little figure over at the top. He's like, is that a human? Is that a droid? I can't tell. He force pushes it into the wall really hard. To his surprise, the being stands up, turns around. It's Data. He shakes it off, cleans off his shirt, and says, this is a message from Jean-Luc Picard. Go to hell. All of a sudden, he gets transported off the ship and he has left a whole bunch, transported a whole bunch of quantum torpedoes all over the Star Destroyer because their shields are down now, and they start going off like detonated bombs. In the end, the Star Destroyer is destroyed. Darth Vader does escape because he's awesome, and that's how the US Enterprise is gonna win. Look, superior technology, superior tactics. They've got someone captaining the ship who's awesome, and can use the force, will do some damage, but who's been outthought and outmaneuvered before. And when it comes to outmaneuvering really powerful opponents, the US Enterprise, with Jean luc Picard, Ricard, and everyone else there, they're top notch. That's why the Star Destroyer loses, that's why the Enterprise wins. That's my point number three.
3: What a bizarre story that you just told that I don't think anybody out there is buying. I like that Picard dies in your story, but yet somehow is there at the end to help with the deception. I don't know how anything works in this world. Look, at the end of the day, in your version of the story, as you laid it out, Picard is dead and Riker is the new captain of the ship. Also, according to you, what's Riker's first move? Close the distance. Okay, great. If the Enterprise wants to close the distance with the Star Destroyer, the Star Destroyer, to what you said, has better firepower at close distance ranges and will blow the Enterprise to kingdom come. In your story, which doesn't hold up, you lose, and that's the one you just presented. So I don't really have to say a whole heck of a lot here, other than the fact that you're completely leaving out the tractor beams. You want to talk about how the Enterprise could outmaneuver and do X, Y, and Z? You're going to keep. Pre- Pretending it's true when it's being locked on with a tractor beam which the millennium falcon couldn't even come close with its hyperdrive uh, technology couldn't come close to shaking the enterprise is gonna get stuck in a tractor beam held in place not maneuverable and it's gonna get blown away none of this nonsense about suddenly the shields are just magically down for the star destroyer so a bunch of stuff could warp aboard you can't warp through shields. James, this is done. Even by your own arguments, the Star Destroyer wins. Do you you, you get how shields work? How science, math... Anyway, Rachel and
0: Dan, it's time for you to make a decision. Take us through your individual processes.
4: I don't get to ask one last question. I would really like to... Do we know how much... Do we have a number for how much damage the shields for each ship can take? Does that exist somewhere?
0: Yes. I mentioned before the Starship, the U.S. Enterprise, USS Enterprise can take the equivalent of 90 photon torpedoes at once.
3: But we've also seen a laser pierce the hull of the ship. So it's really plot based how much these shields can take. (laughs) The 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 official
0: Star Wars online database, Star Trek online database. Nine, yeah, I like how Ray's like. Well, we've also seen we've also seen people get up close and do crazy stuff to Star Destroyers. But according to the up official close. numbers, ninety photon torpedoes is something that the shields can take.
5: To be fair, when the Borg decided to carve up the Enterprise D, it, it didn't have shields up at the time.
0: Well, they brought the shields down.
5: Yeah, well, they dropped the shields down and then they carved it up with a laser. Right, the Borg forced it to drop the shields. Yeah,
3: man, it sounds like something Vader could do too. Then with the force,
0: <laughs> well, you got to remember then Star Trek. Then the Enterprise, what they did, they figured out the harmonics and kind of figured out how to work around it. And they did that mm-hmm. super fast. wonder if they could do that against the Star
5: Destroyer. Oh, yeah, I, I do can. have one question. Uh, my question is this. How is it, I've played a lot of, you know, uh, Star Wars uh, squadrons, right? So how is it that, a, you know, a bunch of X-Wings can fly around the Star Destroyer through its shields and, and hit those, like, key points to, To drop the whole thing. How does that work? How is it that a large capital uh, ship—this is a genuine question—like can't puncture those shields, or has to deal with those shields, but the smaller vessels cannot? Are you familiar
3: with the concept of a Kevlar vest? Yes. In that a Kevlar vest, you shoot it, and that the it's able to push away the energy at long range. But right. if you get up close with a with a with a needle, you can poke somebody right through a Kevlar vest because it's a small enough attack. And the that's slow the knife key.
4: penetrates the shield. That's mm. the deal.
3: So with these <laughs> X wings, they get up close, they get underneath the shields, and they can surgically do damage, much like the people of Gulliver's
0: Travels. With that being said, I think the real reason why that happens is because the shields serve a different purpose in Star Wars than they do in Star Trek. So in Star Trek, the shields are designed... You know, we know we're taking impact. We know, we know we're taking high energy. We don't know what we're expecting, so they overdevelop shields. Remember, in Star Wars, especially a Star Destroyer, they're the big bully on the block. Kind of interesting, right? They count on being so big and so formidable and overpowering someone, especially by surprise. Remember, they attack a lot of places that have no idea they're about to be attacked. So Welcome their ammo is slightly different. Their shields are lower.
3: somehow <laughs> for this battle. Let's get to the judges. We've gone over enough. <laughs>
0: All right, so guys, let's start off with Dan. What is your decision? Actually, why don't you two deliberate a little bit so the legion of audience can hear what's going on?
5: All right, so right now I'm thinking if look if this is a troops against troops, then the Star Destroyer Destroyer wins. You got Vader, you got nine thousand stormtroopers. Like that's just gonna it doesn't matter if they can't shoot. They're just gonna overwhelm the, the the Star Trek Enterprise crew. But I don't think it's going to get that far. I don't think we're going to get into a hand-to-hand gun battle, uh, you know, in, 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 in the, the turbo shaft. I don't think we're going to get that far. For me, it is, it is the maneuverability of the Enterprise and its precision shooting being able to take down the Star Destroyer. That I think for me at the moment is is uh, the, the the winning victory. Now the enterprise may end up with just like the saucer section badly damaged, burning in space. But right now for me, I, I'm definitely I'm I'm leaning towards my uh, my boy uh, Jean Luc Picard. So that one, Jean <laughs> Luc <how it's> Pickard.
0: <laughs> All right, that was brilliant. By the way, Dan. All right, Rachel. What are your thoughts on this battle?
4: So here's the thing that I find compelling is that when we're talking about the numbers of personnel, see, Star Trek likes to save their people. The Empire doesn't care if people die. And so when you start talking about swarm tactics, I sort of feel like the Star Destroyer suddenly has, if we say there are however however many TIE fighters, how many TIE fighters did you have in there? 72. 72 TIE fighters start swarming it. They also don't care if those pilots die. Nope. They don't care if the 9,000 stormtroopers die. So what I... and, and, And the Star Trek universe has very complicated feelings about other races and the effect that they would have on destroying populations of people. And I sort of think that they might be compromised somewhat on their ethics on how they were going to engage in this battle. So... You know, that's why I sort of feel like when you start talking about just throwing swarms of people, do you remember when we played, what was it, Halo and the Flood? Yeah. And you just had this Flood just massing, you know, over Master Chief over and over and over. That's kind of what I'm imagining between the Star Destroyer and the Starship Enterprise.
5: So for me, like, I...
4: (laughs) James is so mad at me right now.
5: (laughs) No, I'm just thinking of the Borg.
0: Yeah, Yeah. but no, go ahead.
5: No, so, okay, here's my argument. Right now, uh, you got the Enterprise and the Star Destroyer shooting at each other, and eventually, let's just say those shields do go down, right? And at that point, the transportation technology that the Enterprise has, per James's point, to simply beam on a bunch of torpedoes is very compelling.
2: Yeah, and, frankly, I know. I, and frankly, science And frankly, science is
5: hot. When I think about it, I don't know why it doesn't get used more often in the Star Trek universe. Thank you. It's true. Um, but don't they
4: have to get the torpedo on the platform or no, we we moved away from that
5: by Oh, they can beam they can they can their, their sensors are very good. They can just beam the torpedoes on. Once the shields go down. They can't do it with the shields up. But then they can just beam them onto the bridge of the star destroyer and and Blow up Darth Vader. To
3: what you just said, Dan, is that something that they actually do? No, they have done that.
5: No,
0: it's not something you've seen them do. Yeah, I believe in generations they did do that. But anyway, continue, oh, guys. But
3: not the one you're talking about. Look at James over there. That here. is the same crew. That's exactly the same crew.
0: In
5: James's uh, Shakespearean epic, where you know Picard so, so. has died, uh, <laughs> I, I can see, I could see Riker pulling that off. I could see that happen. So
0: where is where's your head guys? Where tell us who wins this battle?
5: For me, coupled with the fact that many 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 a Stark uh, destroyer has has been destroyed by by rebel scum, my vote is with the Star Trek Enterprise and its lovely crew.
4: I yeah, I'm sorry Ray. I'm sorry. I, I hate the fact that we have to do this to you again. Do you though? Do you though? <laughs> There's part of it. Well, because he's also part of my team in the sense that, you know, he's part of Port Saga. And so I i I'm sorry, what'd you say? I said I said he's part of our team. He's part of Port Saga. Like oh, no, I I'm want just sorry, to, he's
0: part of your team. That's
4: oh. all. <laughs> I want you know, I want to I, I, I want to remain loyal to the team, but yeah, I mean those numbers. Science, yeah, it really—it's. T- I'm sorry, Ray, it's tough.
0: So the winner is both of you. Can you say it in unison. The winner is the Star
5: Starship Trek- Enterprise. Let's try it one more time together.
4: Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> the Starship Enterprise, right? Yeah. Starship Enterprise E. And there you have
0: it, legion of audience. Justice finally prevails. I'm going to take this win really, really well, especially since I've, I've revealed it earlier on the show and also in previous episodes. I'm related to uh, William Shatner. He doesn't know who I am, but we are cousins. He's from Montreal, from Ottawa. That's the whole thing. So I genetically had to win this episode of Who Would Win or my family would disown me, the ones that listen to the show. Race to Canis. you were about to get three in a row, but uh, victory eluded you. Tell the Legion of Audience how you feel right now.
3: You know, it's weird. I don't know why they wouldn't disown you for not using Captain Kirk in this battle. That's the kind of cowardly uh, move that James has. Look, I don't know how it's possible to have two esteemed judges, like the two of you come on and split the way that you were going to go last time you were on the show, and then somehow uh, Rachel convinces Diane that James should win. Great. And then we get on this (laughs) time, you split in how you guys want this one to go, and I don't understand how... Rachel can then be convinced by Dan that suddenly James is going to win. It just doesn't seem to matter which way you split. James is coming down with a victory no matter who is going where. And y'all just discounted the tractor beam like it wasn't even there. Maneuverability in a tractor beam is brought down to zero. Didn't hear that even thought about in the final decision. And ultimately, ultimately, that is why I am so disappointed
4: in this decision once again. I feel like we have betrayed you somehow, Ray. For good reason. I really do feel you did. That twice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, Rachel and Dean, I, I just gotta tell you, you guys made the right call. Because it wasn't like you were saying like Luke Skywalker would lose to data or something like that. No, no, we're talking about a Star Destroyer which is super powerful, but it's gotten smashed and wrecked and destroyed on numerous occasions throughout the films, TV, all that kind of good stuff. You're just telling the audience what we've already seen, what we already knew, and you you made the right call. And ultimately, that's what life's all about. I'm not sure where I'm going with this. I'm just saying, yet again, I got the win. That's what I do. Thank you so much. With that being said, you two are absolutely fantastic. Please come back on the show anytime Maybe next week, if you will, to give me another victory. And, you know, just continue being awesome. Please tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, where, once more, where they can find you online and where they can listen to season two of Port Saga.
4: You can check out all of our work at racheljwilkinson.com. If you want to check out Port Saga, just add the slash Port Saga. But whatever podcast player you use, just search Vampire the Masquerade Port Saga and you will find us.
0: And what about your socials and all that kind of good stuff?
4: Oh, yes. Day in? Yeah,
5: so my socials are, are real easy. It's Day Geist, uh, whether that's on Twitter. Uh, I have an Instagram ac- account. Uh, but it's just Day and Geist, day I have my own uh, little website there, too. Uh, but that's how you get a hold of me.
4: And you can also go to uh, Port Saga, for, at Port Saga for Twitter, or at Ray J. Wilkinson. You can find us. We're everywhere.
0: And do you guys have a, uh, do you have a Patreon? Yes. Or was that just a joke?
4: No, I really do. (laughs) Patreon.com slash uh, Rachel J. Wilkinson. And you can help support the actors and the sound guy and making audio fiction to make sure I like to pay people. And so the only way I get to do that is with patrons who join. So please help me help, help me make more audio fiction for the world.
0: It's like saying, let me help you help me to help you.
4: Yes. Help, help, help me help you help, help me bring you great entertainment, vampiric entertainment to straight into your ears.
0: I mean, everyone needs that. All right. Race to Canis, another fantastic battle. Uh, You came up just a little short, but um, I'm just gonna emphasize you came up short. Tell the Legion of Audience once more where they can find you online.
3: Well, where you can find me currently is going to be stumbling down Hollywood Boulevard wearing a bathrobe, muttering to myself about photon torpedoes and hundreds of millions of miles of distance not equaling a battlefield removal and wondering what exactly went wrong in this battle. My my argument was flawless. James, as usual, did his flailing about in the goal and somehow knocked away the winning puck. And I don't know how that's imaginable much less possible when two true geniuses of the form come with their heads together and come up with a decision that is so blatantly wrong tractor beams tractor babes you can, of course, hear myself, hear both of our esteemed judges on Reclaimed Detroit, a Vampire of the Masquerade podcast at Vampire Detroit, VampireDetroit.com and wherever you podcast. You can also find all three of us in Port Saga Season 2, and I want to put an extra pitch out for that. It's one of the greatest shows I've ever heard in my entire life, and it truly is, despite the bitterness I feel towards both of you right now, the bitterness I love this show and I think everyone should listen to it and that's me saying this now. That's how good I think this show is. I will not unsubscribe to it like I have others who have done similar things to me on this show.
4: I'll give you more lines next season. How about that?
3: (laughs) Guys, we just found out I don't die. Rachel, I thought we had lessons learned from one season (laughs) to the next. Rip Steel lives on. He has to live on at some point, please. What I will say otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Almighty Ray. Go to my Twitter page this Friday. We will be doing Victory Friday. I don't care if these two disagree. One of them agreed, and that's the one I'm going with in this case. Star Destroyer wins in a split decision. So basically, I won. That's fair.
0: Would not be something I could say. All right. Race to Canis. You'll come back battling hard next week. Hopefully you won't win. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gavs. Remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, it's the thing. Spotify and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Cicadas, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of the Who Would Win Show. We'll see you next time. Hey, gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash hoodwinshow right now. OK, got to prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. Hi, I'm Kevin Goti. Hey, I'm Kevin Israel.